the gospel according to grace. So, Father, we thank you that we're here tonight. We ask that you'd bless this study right now as we go through these chapters. And I thank you for Isaiah. I thank you for uh, your heart being revealed to us. And, Lord, I pray that as these words were written 2,700 years ago, that they are words for us. And it is very relevant. And I know that it seems like in the church today, there's more of a message of detach yourselves from the Old Testament. But Lord, we know that, that we are told that all scripture is inspired by you and it is profitable. So we know that it's going to be profitable for us to go through these chapters here tonight. So touch our hearts with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we find ourselves in this section of Isaiah in chapters 49 through 53, we see that it speaks of Jesus. There's a prophecy concerning Jesus from his birth, even as we saw last week in chapter 49, as uh, here is the prophet uh, that would write about from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, uh, that the Lord has called me from the womb. Speaking of the birth of Jesus, of course, being born of a virgin there in Bethlehem. Him. And as we go through these chapters, it's going to speak of Jesus, his ministry, his life, and particularly about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And when we get to chapter 53, I think that chapter 53 of Isaiah is one of the most incredible chapters in all of Scripture. But this is written, keep in mind, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And as we continue reading here in chapter 50, verse 1, the book of Isaiah, thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce and whom have I put away or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you for your iniquities you have sold yourselves and for your transgressions your mother has been put away and as we open the chapter God is speaking to his people and and, and there's this charge that they had now keep in mind that Isaiah is writing this about a hundred years before the house of Judah would go off into captivity by the Babylonians. Uh, we saw that previously and early in Isaiah's ministry, um, in the first part of Isaiah, he is talking to the house of Israel, how they're going to go off into captivity by the Assyrians, who were the, the powerhouse, the world power of that time. And indeed, it was the Assyrians that came and took the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, off into captivity in 722 B.C. But it would be later that, as we saw, uh, as uh, we're, we're reading chapters 36 and 37 and 38 of, of Isaiah, that the Assyrians uh, would come into Judah, they would surround Jerusalem, and it was an angel that was sent to destroy 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So the Assyrian, that, that empire is declining right now, that Isaiah is writing these words, and Babylon, which isn't a powerful empire at this time, but they're going to rise to power. And then in 605 B.C., we see that the captivity would begin as Nebuchadnezzar would come into Jerusalem and take the choice men of Judah away. That's Daniel and his friends. And they would go off into captivity. Then there was another wave in 597 B.C. as Ezekiel was taken off into captivity. And Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem to prophesy. And then in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed Solomon's temple. So all of this is being told to them. This is what's going to happen. Because of your sin, you're going to go off into 
captivity. And as we read this, the charge that they would have is, Lord, you don't care about us. You have divorced us. And here the Lord is saying, wait a minute here. He, he says, where's the certificate of your mother's divorce whom I have put away? Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves and your transgressions your mother has been put away. So what the Lord is saying is, it is your own iniquities you have sold yourselves. I have not forsaken you, but you've forsaken me. And my prayer for us here, that all of us, that, that we would understand that the Lord promises he won't leave us or forsake us. But we can certainly walk away from his love and from his care and his promises that are given to us. And, and as I read this, for your iniquities, you have sold yourselves. And what my prayer for you and for me, that we wouldn't sell you know, our, our soul for the world. We wouldn't sell ourselves out for sin and carnality in the world. And I think that happens too often with us Christians. That we sell out and, and, and we are given into the cares of the world and even the pleasures of the world. And the Lord is saying, I love you. And stay in that place of safety and protection. And, and his love will never fail us. But he says, you have forsaken me. And he goes on and he says, I do care. Verse 2, why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea and I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. So uh, he is reminding them that not only does he care, but he's all powerful. I have the power to deliver you. The people had been in sin, and the prophets had come, and they refused to turn back to the Lord. And then as they're experiencing the consequences of their sin, they begin to blame God. And I know that in the years of ministry that I've had those come to me, and they've been involved in sin and continue in sin, they refuse to turn away from sin. And then when they experience the consequences and the repercussions of sin, they'll end up blaming God. And perhaps you've had that same experience uh, with somebody that you care about, that you're ministering to, that they walking after the world, refuse to turn to the Lord, and there will be repercussions because of that. We know that Galatians says that don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow seeds to the spirit, of the spirit you're going to reap to everlasting life. And that's a spiritual principle that is for all of us. None of us are exempt from that. And it's a loving father that says to you and to me, stay away from sin because I don't want you to get hurt. And I don't want you to be deceived. And I don't want you to be in bondage. And I don't want you to be in the darkness. He has brought us out of the darkness, as Peter writes, into his marvelous light. And even as we talked about on Sunday morning, that very important uh, truth that is given to us, as John says, that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And the Lord does not give us his commandments to burden us or to restrict us or to limit us or to hold us into you know, captivity and bondage, that as we are walking with him, that's where true freedom is.
And that's where true, you know, joy and peace comes from. And every commandment that God gives to you and to me, as we mentioned on Sunday morning, is an expression of his love for you. The Lord loves you. And he wants what's best for you. So he says, this is how I want you to live. This is how you can experience that abundant life that he has for us. So you're in captivity, he says, not because I couldn't help you or didn't have the power to help you. It's because of your sin and your refusal to turn to me. And as we continue in verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. I really love this verse 4 because I I believe it's speaking of Jesus. I love this verse because remember that these chapters speak of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus as we're going to continue on. And I believe that this is a picture of how the Father awakened Jesus in the morning and he spent that time together. Here, as he he says, a word in season to him who is weary, he awakens me morning by morning, he awakens my ear. And we know that was a pattern of Jesus' life. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 tells us, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. That was something that was a priority in Jesus' life, that he spent time with the Father, and he spent the early morning times with the Father. And then later on in Mark, in that chapter, what it tells us is disciples come to find Jesus and said, Hey, Everybody over here is waiting for you. And Jesus said, we got other places that we need to go. He had his marching orders given to him from the Father. He did the will of the Father. He said, I do nothing apart from my Father. I think this is really important for us to consider. And I hope that, that you hear my heart on this. That there's no other practical way for us to really grow as Christians and to grow in our love for him and devotion for him. And to be ones that every day that we're spending time with the Lord. And I know I say this over and over again, but what my prayer is this, is that that you would spend the first fruits of your day, the first parts of your day with him, whatever that might mean. And Jesus is a wonderful example of that. Even David is an example of that because you can read the Psalms and, and David would write that I awaken the dawn, not that the dawn awakens me, but I awaken the dawn. And it's like David is saying, I'm so excited to spend time with you, Lord, that I awaken the dawn. I can't wait for the beginning of the day so I can know you and spend time with you and know your heart. So wonder he was a man after God's own heart because that was a pattern of David. And I pray that he would have the priority, the first fruits of our day, every single day, spend time with him. Have your devotion time. Read the scriptures. Give them your heart. Be sensitive to listening to him. And you're going to see that your faith is going to increase. And you're going to see that your Christianity is going to become more real than ever before. You see what really concerns me, and I think that this is kind of a message that is given to the church more and more. Matter of fact, an article on Friday about a church startup, and I think that's wonderful. I, I, I love it when churches start in this community, and, and 
we need the kingdom of God to grow. And I know for me that um, the Lord is really, uh, in my years of ministry, has showed me be concerned about the kingdom of God. I'll take care of the church. But how we need more ministers and more churches that are planted. But what happens is when we give the idea of, well, you know what, go and do your own thing and then come and worship, as was a quote in this article, it kind of leaves a bad taste with me. Oh, we can worship the Lord at any time, morning, noon, or night. That's the wonderful truth that, that we saw in the book of Hebrews, that we can come into the Holy of Holies with boldness because of the blood of Jesus Christ, with confidence, not our own confidence because of what Jesus has done. And that would be amazing for those, those Hebrew believers to read that because they were so familiar, familiar with only the high priest being allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year for a short time. But we have access to the presence of God any time we want, and we can do it any time we want, and we can stay there as long as we want in the presence of God. What a privilege and opportunity that you and I have. But here's the thing. When we start giving the message of give God your leftovers, it's almost like, well, you know, having devotions or worshiping God or you know, going to church is such an inconvenience. It's burdensome. And I pray that I never give that message to you. That whenever we meet, whether it is Sunday morning or Wednesday nights or whatever night it may be, because we have Christians that are meeting just all the time, all week long. Most excellent way, Mondays. You know, men's study Tuesday, Wednesday night, ladies on Thursday, young adults on Friday, men's prayer on Saturday mornings. It's wonderful that, that we're able to gather and meet and be encouraged, but that would be a priority in our lives, that we wouldn't just give God the leftovers. And that we would think, oh, it's such a burden and it's such an inconvenience. And then we wonder why the church is weak. Don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together, the writer of Hebrews says, especially as you see the day approaching. Listen, we're seeing the day approach. The Lord's coming is at hand. I really believe that we're in the last days. And as we continue to go through Isaiah and the prophecies that are given concerning the coming of Jesus, not just his first coming, as he came as the suffering servant, but his second coming as he comes as the reigning Messiah that will appear, that we're even going to see in this chapter and in the next chapter. But I believe that, that we are at the brink of the coming of the Lord. We don't know the day or the hour. But we see these things coming to pass, even as Jesus said. And he said, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. And I pray that we would never see it as an inconvenience to have devotion time or to worship with him. That we would make him the priority, give him the first fruits, not the leftovers of our lives. So that's something to think about and pray through. And, and here is, is Jesus. He awakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear to hear is learn. And we know that the principle and the truth of Scripture is not to do your thing and then come and worship. 
Ah, no, come and worship and then go do your thing. Make him the priority. And the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and from spitting. The sufferings of Jesus being described to us. And here is Jesus, as you know, that he went through a series of six trials as they bound him up there in the garden. They took him, first of all, to Annas to stand before Annas, who was the power behind the high priestly office. And it was the servant of Annas that struck Jesus. And then he would go before the Sanhedrin council, the religious leaders, and he had two trials with them. And he was condemned to death, and the religious leaders put a bag over his head, and they beat him. And, and one of the things that, that would happen, you know, when, when you don't see the blows coming, it's more violent to what it is. When you see a blow coming, you can kind of go with it. But they, they mocked him, and they spit on him, and they punched him out. And then he went to the Romans. <coughs> And the Romans put that cat of nine tails on his back, that, that, that phalagium, that, that it was more than a whip. It, it was a leather strap and then other leather straps that came out. And there was a piece of, of metal on each of those, those leather strips that would come on the back of Jesus. And then they would pull it and whole chunks of skin would come off the back of Jesus. They made a crown of thorns, those Jordan thorns. When we go to Israel, I'll show you if you ever go with us. Jordan thorns that are still there in Jerusalem. They're about four inches long, hard as nails, sharp as razors. It would completely lacerate his scalp. And then it says here that they took his beard and they pulled it out as the Romans beat him. He was marred more than any other man is what we're going to read in this section of Isaiah. So much so was he beaten that we can't fully understand it, that it was Pilate that finally, when Jesus stood before the people for the last time, he said, behold the man, look, look what they've done to him. He's unrecognizable. And he did all of that for you and for me. John would say that we love him because he first loved us. And as a way of review, remember that John is saying that we're to love others and God is love. And it wasn't enough for God to declare it in his word, but Jesus proved it on the cross. And if you ever doubt the love of God, go to the cross and see Jesus there, his beard pulled out, cheeks swollen, as he was beaten beyond recognition, hanging on that cross for you because of his love for you. And as he went to that place of execution called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha, the place of the skull, he did it to die for your sins that you might be forgiven and spend eternity with him and have relationship with the Father and if you know of his love and continue to keep your eyes on him. So wonder it was Paul that said, I come preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That you just marvel at him. And as you realize that he first loved us and as you know him and know that he died for you, that his promises are going to be true for you and he wants the very best for you and 
If you can trust them with your salvation, you can trust them with your life. So here he is given to, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And then in verse 7, as we continue, for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Of course, it was in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus, it tells us that, um, that as he was uh, there, uh, in uh, the Galilee region, he's leaving. And then it says that it came to pass when the time had cut from him, come from, for him to re- be received up, up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face like a flint to go to the cross. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's six months before Jesus went to the cross. I'm so glad Jesus didn't say, well, I'll go to the cross when it's convenient for me. He made it a priority. And as he went go to the cross, he said, the hour has come for me to be delivered up. And so Jesus was committed to going to the cross, and that's why he came. He was faithful to going to the cross and dying for you and for me. In verse 8, he is near who justifies me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Of course, Jesus had victory at the cross over sin and death and was not put to shame. He was not left in the tomb. And who will contend with the Lord? No one. And the enemies of God will be silent someday. In verse 10, uh, we read, and then verse 11, Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with spark, walk in the light of the fire, and, and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. And so as uh, we read this, actually I skipped verse 10. I thought I read it. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Listen, I I didn't want to miss this verse. Because he says that who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Even as we read in John's epistle that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. As a Christian, we're going to take on certain characteristics as a child of God. And one is that we're going to have desire to walk with him. Uh, A child of God is not going to walk in continued habitual sin. Uh, living a lifestyle of sin, but walking in the light, walking in obedience, desiring to do that. Now, none of us do that perfectly. And we do know that John, as he said, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Praise God. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as I was pondering this verse later this afternoon, I was looking at this. And who shall obey the voice of the servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. We walk in the light, but sometimes we go through dark seasons of our lives. Sometimes through trials and difficulties. Things happen in our lives and we think, Lord, it's just dark right now. What is the purpose of this? Why am I in this situation? Why am I going through this? And we don't understand everything that we go through. But when we're confronted with the things that we don't understand, we fall back into things we do understand. 
And I just want to encourage you that if you're in a season where it just feels dark around you, and Lord, where's the light? He says here in verse 10, what you're to do is to trust in him and rely on him. Somehow, some way, that you know that God's going to work, even in the midst of the darkness. And it is a wonderful testimony to God of your heart of trusting him. Lord, I don't understand this. I am weary. I'm going through this trial. Uh, I am hurting right now. I'm going through this loss. And I don't understand it, but I am going to trust in you. And I'm going to rely upon you. Because you are faithful and your promises are true for me. And as you do that, you're going to see him showing himself strong on your behalf in time. And he's going to do work in you. You know, Paul the Apostle, in that introduction to to Romans, he says, oh, that I may come to you. And with real purpose, that I may bring the gospel to you. That there may be real purpose for me coming. And Paul would eventually go to Rome three years later, but not in the way that perhaps that he thought that he would go. He would say that, oh, that there may be the glory of God in this journey that I'm going to make to, to Rome. But see, he went, uh, he left Corinth, and he would go through to Jerusalem, delivered a gift given to uh, the saints there, taken from Greece, and then he would go through a series of trials and difficulties that were very hard for him in jail in in Jerusalem, in, in prison in Caesarea. Then he ends up going to Rome under house arrest for two years to wait on trial before Caesar Nero. And And in all of that, God was glorified. It didn't go the way that Paul wanted it or thought, perhaps. But God was using Paul, and he'll use you and me somehow, in some way. He'll bring light. He'll grow you. He's growing your trust. And he's going to work in eternity's perspective and views. So perhaps tonight you feel like there's some darkness in my life or I'm in a dark situation. Here's the answer. You feel like you have no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Well, let's go into chapter 51. We read, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. He says, listen to me. Actually, he's going to exhort them to listen to him three times in this chapter. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration that, that Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah and they're transfigured and, and, and the Peter, James, and John, the three went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they caught a glimpse of, of that and, and Peter says, oh, this is good. Let's make a tabernacle for, you know, for Elijah, Moses, and for Jesus. And then the voice of the Lord came and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, Peter, don't put my son on the same level as Moses and Elijah, but you need to listen to him and how important it is that we're listening to him. 
Do we have a desire that I want to hear you, Lord? Open up my spiritual ears. And, and he wants us to listen. And so he says, listen to me. Uh, he exhorts us to do that. And then in verse 2, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Abraham listened to the call of God, didn't he? Abram, you leave your father's house and go to the place that I'm going to show you. God didn't even tell him where he was going. He goes home to Sarah and says, Sarah, pack up. We're leaving. Well, where are we going? I don't know. God said he'll show it to us. Now, that took a lot of faith, but he listened to the Lord. You see, listening has the implication of not just hearing what the Lord says, but a desire to do that. And Abraham, who left that place of idols, the Ur of the Chaldeans, you need to do the same thing. And as we listen to him, he will bless and we will be increased in spiritual blessing just as Abraham was. In verse 3, for the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it and thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Now, keep in mind that Isaiah here, oftentimes between verses, he'll uh, shift uh, thoughts here. And that's what he's doing here. So as he's calling them, listen to me. Uh, look at the example of Abraham. He listened to me. He left that place of idleness. You need to leave that place of the idols that you're uh, worshiping. And then all of a sudden this praise breaks out for the Lord will comfort Zion and comfort all her waste places and make the, her wilderness like an Eden. So speaking of the ultimate fulfillment being in the millennium reign, where of course We've already seen Isaiah that comes along and says that in the millennium reign that the land's going to be restored. It, the desert's going to blossom. The Dead Sea's going to have life in it. The Dead Sea right now, there's no fish in the Dead Sea. But, but it's going to be like a, a garden of Eden. It's been partially fulfilled as the Jews have come back into the land Amazing what they have done. You can read the writings of Mark Twain who went there in the 1800s and he said, who would live here? This is a wasteland and what isn't a wasteland is, is a swamp. And it's amazing what the Jews have done in, in coming into the land and it's so fertile and the agriculture and the technology. And every time we go back to Israel, that it's more green and the desert is blooming. So it's a partial fulfillment that we see right now. You know, it's amazing that the um, irrigation technology that they use. I was reading to where they've made a ring that they put around trees that they have just planted. And that ring is able to produce water. They have the technology where they make water out of air. They said, forget about trying to, to bring in, you know, water through irrigation ditches or through pipelines. We'll take it right out of the air because there in the Jordan Valley where the Dead Sea is, it's all very hazy at times because of the evaporation. There's no outlet out of the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. There's nowhere where the water to run. If it's the lowest place, water only runs downhill. So they take all that humidity that is there, the the evaporation and they use it making a ring the technology out of the air H2O and the water vapor where it waters the trees. Absolutely amazing. 90% of their wastewater is purified that they use for agricultural purposes. 
So it's amazing to see what it is that they're doing there in, in a partial fulfillment, but a full fulfillment will happen when the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. Verse 4, listen to me the second time, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me. And I will make my justice rest as light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. And my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me. And on my arm they will trust. In verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. And the earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will not be abolished. God's salvation and righteousness is forever. Now, listen, everything of this world is going to vanish away. We know that when Jesus Christ comes back, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're going to come back with him. He touches down on the Mount of Olives. Zacharias says that the Mount of Olives splits in half. He will judge the nations. He will restore the nation of Israel. And he will usher in his kingdom for a thousand years. After that thousand years, the heavens and the earth that we now know that, that Travis was speaking of, as we, we consider the heavens now and the, and the billions of stars and galaxies that are out there, that's all going to go away. And Peter, he writes about that in his second epistle, chapter 3. Let me read it to you in verse 10. But the day of the Lord, which comes as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will uh, melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will dissolve, being on fire, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens, the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So after that, the heavens and the earth that we now know it, that they will dissolve, dissolve in an in, in explosion in a fervent heat. Colossians chapter 1 says that all things consist of him or are held together by him. And, and we can look to the smallest element, the atom, and they always wonder the, the, the particles, the subparticles of an atom, you know, that are repelling and, and uh, like attractions that really, according to physics, they don't quite understand why the atom just doesn't explode because you have all these, you know, like particles and opposite particles and light particles, you know, push against each other. The atoms shouldn't, you know, they, they don't fully understand it. And there's technical physics that are behind it. And, and I remember when I was in middle school taking chemistry class, they used to call it, call it atomic glue. You know, that kind of holds it together. Uh, you and I know who holds it together. It's Jesus. All things consist of him. He holds it all together, and one day he's going to let it go. And it's all going to go up in a nuclear reaction. Greater fireworks than we ever see on 4th of July, that's for sure. And it will dissolve. And then there's the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, and then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where we will dwell with him for all eternity. But Peter says something very important here that you and I, I pray that we would consider. He says, what manner of men, men and women, ought we to be in holiness? 
Christians, may we always keep in mind that everything in this world is going to go away. We can be blessed with the things that we have, our jobs, or the things that, that we're blessed with with the Lord. We should be good stewards of us. Yes, we give thanks to the Lord. But what I pray is this, that we remember that everything in this world is going to vanish away, is going to go away. And the only thing that we've done for Christ, that's what's going to last. Because you see, you and I, this was a question that somebody asked me on the radio yesterday. We're going to stand at this judgment seat of Christ. It's the Bema reward seat of Christ. We've talked about it before in our studies. And we're not going to be judged according to our sin because Jesus took that judgment on the cross. But what I hope and pray that as we give an account for what we have done for Christ and rewards and crowns will be given, that we wouldn't think that, Lord, I wasted a lot of time here in this world. And Jesus warns out. He says, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Paul wrote the same thing. And Jesus warned us about being weighed down, even with the cares of life. And every single one of us, yes, he says, don't be weighed down with, with carousing and drunkenness. Well, I don't do that. In the cares of life, we all got cares of life. Every single one of us. And cares of life aren't bad things necessarily. We got kids we're raising. We got jobs we have. Uh, we got, you know, all kinds of things going on in our life. But I pray that we wouldn't get weighed down with those things. And also Jesus said in the parable of the sower that the, the plant that came up as the seed was planted in the soil, which is our heart, he would go on to explain, that all of a sudden fruit began to come up, but then the cares of life begin to choke it out, that we get so busy with life and the cares of this world that it begins to choke out the Word of God out of our hearts. And I believe that can happen so easily in the day in which we're living in because there's so much noise, there's so much activity, there's so many things to do, there's always something to do. And we're not in that place of saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because he wants to use every single one of you where he's placed you, the gifts he's given to you. And he were created for his good pleasures, Revelation chapter 4. And you are his workmanship, poem. You know what that word means. You are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not that they're going to save you, but you do it because you are saved. And everything in this world is going to go away. It's going to burn up. But the things that we do for Christ is what's going to last. So why would we want to put a priority in things that are going to go away and vanish? We want to prioritize him and knowing him, walking with him, serving him because he's coming back. You know what I see this life as? Kind of boot camp <laughs> because we're going to rule and reign with him, it tells us, the scriptures. I mean, we're going to be given responsibilities. And Jesus talking about this very subject. He would talk about the parable of the mina and the parable of the talents and investing in what the, 
the master has given to us and we will give an account of it and I pray for all of us that we would hear those words well done good and faithful servant here are ten cities here are five cities but we would use those talents and those minas we don't have time to go into that but we would invest what God has given to us for his glory even as he told the nation remember a few chapters back you were created for my glory, for my purposes, not to live for ourselves. And he didn't save us so we can live after the world. Yes, we're in the world, but not of the world. And maybe, just maybe, perhaps the Lord might speak something of this to all of us. Because again, none of us do this perfectly. I get distracted like anybody else. And it doesn't mean you can't enjoy doing things. It doesn't mean if you miss a Sunday that you're less of a Christian. Or, I hope you understand what I'm saying. But Lord, you're the first fruits of my life. And everything I give to you, my devotion, my talents, my resources, whatever. Because Jesus allowed himself to have his beard pulled out and that flagellum on his back and pinned to a cross that you might belong to the kingdom of God that's going to last forever. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words that stir our hearts and reminds us of the priorities that we're to have in you. Father, I thank you that these words were written not just for the people of the day, but for us today. That we can come to you. And, and Lord, I, I asked tonight in the honesty of our hearts as we come to you there are things in life that have become a priority over you and whatever it might be or we just waste a lot of time rather than spending time with you and we know that your love always remains but Lord may we not just give you the leftovers of our lives the first fruit of our lives, the beginning of our day, the end of our day. Even as David wrote, I pray morning, noon, and night, but Lord, that we be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us, that we would serve one another, that you desire for us to be your ambassadors and desire for us to give the greatest news in the world that Jesus Christ came and died for you because of his love for you. That we wouldn't get weighed down and choked out by the world and the cares of life. And Lord, we do. We get busy and, and, and we got responsibilities and we work hard. And I appreciate everyone here who works so hard. But Lord, may we keep you foremost in everything in every area of our lives. We know that everything in this world is going to go away, so we want to keep a heavenly, eternal perspective, not a temporary perspective. And Lord, we want to be used of you. I pray this church would be used of you in these days. Because it seems like these days, even as you said, would happen in the last days that they're getting more evil 
they're getting darker, more confusing for people. There's an attack on truth. And Lord, we want to be light. And we want to give your love to others in truth. We want to be your poem, your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Lord, I pray right now that if there are things that, that are priority over you, whatever it might be, even as you said, listen, listen, put away those idols. We may need to put away some busyness or things that just pull us away from you and time with you. Maybe it's just excuses. Maybe it's laziness, sluggishness, whatever, some kind of carnality. But Lord, that we would know that you want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And as we prioritize you in every area of our lives, that's where we experience abundant life. So I pray that as you do speak to our hearts, it's always to draw us to you, not to push us away. Lord, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for Calvary Chapel. Thank you for the churches here in, in northern Colorado in this area. Lord, we are a blessed people, privileged. We want to continue to learn of you, to know you, to walk with you, to be used of you. Pray that we would leave here refreshed and renewed in every way. And Lord, we look forward to when we meet again as we gather to worship, to fellowship, to study your word, to exhort one another. We are a blessed people. Thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?